0: This morning, as we return to our study of the Gospel of Luke, I want to remind you where we are. It's been quite a few weeks since we've been in Luke. We are in chapter six, and we're looking at our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And the specific teaching in this sermon that has been the focus of our attention has been our Lord's rather radical instruction that as his disciples, as his followers, we are to love our enemies, showing mercy showing kindness to them, and even generosity to those who hate and persecute us. Now, this was the complete opposite of what Christ's Jewish audience had been taught by their religious leaders, because as we discovered from Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, their religious leaders, namely who, namely the scribes and the Pharisees, had taught the Jewish people not to love their enemies, but rather to hate them. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now." When Jesus says, you have heard, he means that they had heard this teaching from the scribes and the Pharisees, their religious leaders. And it was absolutely wrong. That's what he's saying. You've heard this. He's not affirming that this is what the Old Testament taught. He's saying, you have heard your rabbis, your scribes, your Pharisees. You've heard them say this, and I'm telling you it's wrong. And when he says, but I say to you, he means that, what he's about to say to them is truth. Truth, as God intended it to be understood in his word. That truth being that his word never told anyone to hate their enemy, but taught just the opposite, to love their enemy. And then the Lord proceeded to explain exactly how and why they must love their enemy. Now, as you may recall... We ended our study of these verses, this passage about loving our enemies, by looking at chapter 6, verse 38, which tells us that we are to treat our enemy with great generosity, just the opposite of what your flesh feels like doing. Verse 38 says, give and it'll be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And so... Having finished speaking about showing mercy and love to an enemy, here's what Jesus said next in his sermon, and it is the focus of our study this morning. At least we're going to get into it part way. Starting at verse 39, we read, And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher." Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand the bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks that from which fills his heart. Now, I realize that at first glance, these verses may seem completely unrelated and unconnected to what Jesus has been saying about loving our enemies. But that's only the first glance, because that's not really the case. Because Jesus was giving a sermon, and sermons are not random thoughts haphazardly thrown together that have no relationship to each other. You see, a good sermon is organized. A good sermon is well thought through, with transitions that connect one set of thoughts to another set of thoughts. And that's exactly what we find in our Lord's words so the question then becomes this what is the connection between these words about blind guides learning from teachers taking a speck out of someone's eye and the fruit of trees that produce being an indicator of their health what does all that have to do with what Jesus said about loving our enemies listen closely Having just taught his followers that their scribes and their Pharisees have led them into error by teaching them to hate their enemies and a host of other errors, Jesus now focuses on warning his followers not to listen to these men anymore because why? They're false teachers. In other words, the passage before us, folks, it's a warning to those who are listening to Jesus to keep listening to him. And not to follow others, just to follow his teaching rather than listening to the scribes and the Pharisees who are false teachers and will only lead them further astray. And all we have to do to confirm that this is precisely the point that the Lord is making is just to look ahead to the next few verses of his sermon where we see Jesus stressing how critical it is to follow his teaching And do what he says. Notice starting in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord? Lord and do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. I'll show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house. Who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred the torrent burst against that house. And could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. See, Jesus is making it very clear that those who have had any exposure to his teaching, those who have heard his words, those who were there by the Sea of Galilee, listening to him give his sermon on the mount, they have a critical choice to make. They have a critical decision to make. That decision being to either act upon what he says, what Christ says, and build their lives on his words, or to disregard what he says and build their lives on other belief systems, which would include the erroneous belief system of the scribes and Pharisees. He's telling them, I know you're soon going to leave and disperse. What are you going to do with what you heard from me? What are you going to do? Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to build your life upon? My words or their words? They've already led you astray. Now folks, what Jesus is addressing is the fact that many people know what his word says. There are many people who know the teachings of Jesus. Many people like like you. People who attend church, who listen to Bible messages, who know know what the Bible teaches about salvation and about Christ being Lord. The question is, what are you going to do with the words of Jesus? Are you going to do what he says and receive him as your Lord and Savior and then start living by his words? Or are you going to walk out of church and completely ignore his word? Which is what many people, many people over the years do. They listen, but that's it. Well, in principle, that's the issue that Jesus is addressing in this closing section of his Sermon on the Mount. And the way he does this is by first warning those listening to him, many who were there that day who claimed to be his disciples, but who in reality may not have been his true disciples, and really not to listen. He's telling them, you claim to be mine, so don't listen to the teaching of your scribes and Pharisees anymore. If you're going to be my disciple, then follow what I'm telling you, not what they are telling you. Why? Because these men are false teachers. They had previously led you into error, and they will, if you continue listening to them, lead you into more error. And therefore, he's telling them, in essence, now that you know this, you need to avoid these teachers and just stop listening to them anymore. Now, folks, this is an extremely relevant passage of Scripture. We may not have the scribes and the Pharisees anymore, but we have false teachers, many false teachers, and they're dangerous. They were dangerous in our Lord's day. They're dangerous today. And that's because false teachers, though appearing to be righteous, in reality, they're not righteous at all. In fact, the Bible calls them ambassadors of Satan. And therefore, they lie about God, they lie about what the Bible teaches, and they lie about anything else they don't agree with that's related to Christianity. And though it may not be obvious, false teachers are all around you. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words. Peter said, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon Upon themselves. Now notice, Peter tells his readers that false teachers were around long ago. And when he says false prophets also arose amongst the people, he's talking about Israel in Old Testament times. They had false prophets. And he says now, now that we're in the church age, you can expect soon coming to your local churches, soon false teachers. They were in the Old Testament times in Israel and now that we're in the church age expect them to be in your local churches interestingly soon after this Jude writes a little book an inspired book only one chapter and he says that these false teachers had arrived so when you put Jude together with second Peter and they're very similar Peter announces they're coming and Jude says they've arrived they're here Here's what Jude said in verse 4. He said, for certain persons, and he's talking about false teachers, have crept in unnoticed. Crept in where? Crept into the local churches. Unnoticed. They're not that obvious. They've crept in unnoticed. Those who were long ago before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so, folks, for the last... 2,000 years plus, these false teachers have been among us. Meaning that they are within the sphere of what we would call Christendom. But they don't represent Christ. Not at all. As I said, they are ambassadors of the devil, his emissaries. So, who are they? Who are they if they're all around us? Well, they are people like Jehovah's Witnesses who come to your door. And they want to talk to you about the kingdom while denying the king of the kingdom. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They are Mormon leaders, they are Catholic priests who tell you that you have to earn your salvation by your own good works. They are Jewish rabbis who reject Jesus as the Messiah and preach a message of works righteousness. They are men who write popular books on a biblical subject while denying an essential doctrine of Christianity such as the Trinity. They are those on television who tell you whatever makes you feel good about yourself they'll tickle your ears while intentionally withholding from you what you really need to hear about yourself and that is that you are a sinner and your sin has separated you from God who is holy and therefore you need Christ as your savior. Now if you think I'm being a little too harsh when I say about false teachers saying they're satanic they're liars they're deceivers then you really don't know what the New Testament says about false teachers. So listen to this quote from John MacArthur's commentary on Luke. As MacArthur simply states the way God in his own word describes false teachers. He writes, God's attitude towards false teachers stands in sharp contrast to the inclusiveness and tolerance of error that pervades contemporary evangelicalism. Scripture denounces them as blind men Mute dogs, unable to bark, dreamers lying down who love to slumber, ignorant, demented fools, reckless, treacherous men, ravenous wolves, blind guides of the blind, hypocrites, fools, whitewashed tombs full of bones, serpents, a brood of vipers, thieves and robbers, savage wolves, slaves of their own appetites, hucksters peddling the word of God, false apostles, deceitful workers, servants of Satan, purveyors of a different gospel, dogs, evil workers, enemies of the cross of Christ, conceited and understanding nothing, men of depraved minds, deprived of the truth, men who have gone astray from the truth, captives of the devil, deceivers, ungodly persons, and unreasoning animals. Now folks, the Bible is so hard ...on false teachers because they pose such a serious threat to those who listen to them. You see, if you follow a false teacher, you will follow him or her into hell. Because that's where all false teachers lead their followers. That's exactly what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Listen to not only what he said about them, but what he said to them, to their faces... Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, and then verse 15. As the Lord pronounced judgment upon them. Like I said, he's not talking about them. He's talking right to them. Eyeball to eyeball. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you don't enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Strong language. And it's because these men pose such a threat to those who sat under their teaching that Jesus, in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, warns those hearing them who have grown up hearing them. I mean, that's their culture. Stop listening to them. Don't listen to them anymore, to the scribes and the Pharisees, because They have led you into error and they will continue to lead you into error if you sit under their teaching. And the way that Jesus warns them about these false teachers is by exposing these men for what they really were beneath their pretense of godliness and all of their religious pious talk. Now before we look at what Jesus said about false teachers, I want you to understand exactly what a false teacher is. Because you cannot avoid listening to a false teacher unless you first know what is it that constitutes, what defines a false teacher. A false teacher is someone who corrupts the gospel message by teaching anything contrary to the truth that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now in practical terms, this means that a false teacher denies or distorts any truth that makes up the gospel message about salvation. It could be, for example, that they might deny man's sinfulness and lack of any personal righteousness. If they do that, they're a false teacher because that's critical to understand in the gospel message. It could be they deny God's holiness that demands payment for sin. If they do that, they are false teachers. Or it could be that they deny Christ's full deity or his full humanity. Or that is death on the cross, the atoning sacrifice, they might say it doesn't mean anything, he was just a martyr. They believe that and teach that they're false teachers. Or if they say that faith in Christ is not enough to secure salvation, you need something more, than they're false teachers. In other words, any error that conveys something in conflict with the gospel message about how to be saved is an error that comes from a false teacher. But note this, it's also true, and you really should be aware of this, that it's not only what a teacher says that reveals whether they are true or not, it's also what a teacher doesn't say that indicates their true colors. So for example, if a preacher never mentions sin in his messages, I mean, just doesn't, not one week, not two, but never mentions sin in his messages, then that individual would come in the category of a false teacher, why? Because by omitting the issue of sin, they are denying the very core, the very heart of the gospel. The gospel message, which is that Christ came into this world to save sinners by dying in their place. You see, without sin, there is no need for a savior. There is no gospel if there's no sin. So it's important to pay attention to what someone says, what they teach, but also what they're omitting, what they're conspicuously not saying, what they're not teaching. Now, in addition, something important to keep in mind is that when we are talking about false teachers, we are only talking about those who are wrong about the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, and not other issues that have no direct bearing on the gospel. You see, while within the circle Of Christianity all and I mean all every true believer is in agreement on the message of salvation there are no true believers who disagree about salvation by grace however there are other issues that very sound Bible teachers see differently we refer to these issues we call them this this is not a biblical term but it's a biblical truth we call them secondary issues because they are relatively minor in comparison to the first and primary issue, which is how people are saved, the gospel message. So secondary issues usually have to do with differences over such things as the manner in which baptism is practiced. Some believing it should be by immersion, others believing it should be by sprinkling. Or it could be something related to a future prophetic event Like the timing of the rapture, there are some who hold to the rapture taking place before the seven-year tribulation period, some who believe it will take place in the middle of the tribulation period, and some even believe and teach it will take place at the end of the tribulation period. It also might be a difference of opinion on how one views spiritual gifts, whether all of them are in operation today or just some of them. Now, Christians who see things differently than we do at Lakeside on secondary issues like the ones I've mentioned and perhaps others, they are not false teachers. And I want you to be aware of that. They're not false teachers. But if someone tells you that Jesus is just an extraordinary special man or only a prophet and not the eternal God, or that you have to be baptized to be saved, or that faith alone in Christ for salvation isn't enough, you have to do some work of merit to try to earn your salvation, then that person is indeed a false teacher. This is why, as I read to you earlier from Matthew 23, this is why Jesus denounced the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. He did it in incredibly strong language. He did not mince words. He said this because they were indeed false teachers who were leading people astray, away from faith in him, and therefore away from genuine salvation. Now, it's these same scribes and Pharisees and men just like them that Jesus is going to warn us about in his Sermon on the Mount. And his warning is that these men are false teachers who should not be listened to. And so in the verses before us, the Lord reveals the truth about false teachers by exposing them for what they really are, what they're really like underneath all of their pretense And therefore, why they are so dangerous. And the first thing our Lord tells us about false teachers and why we should avoid them and why we should not listen to them is because, number one, they will lead you astray. They'll lead you astray. Verse 39. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? So having just finished telling his audience about loving their enemies, something the scribes and the Pharisees had misled the Jewish people about, Jesus then proceeds to give a parable that pertains to not only the scribes and the Pharisees, but to all false teachers in every age and every era. Now, a parable is normally, when you see a parable in the New Testament that Jesus spoke, it's normally an earthly story that by analogy reveals a spiritual heavenly truth. But sometimes... Sometimes a parable can be just a simple proverb that conveys an obvious self-evident truth, sort of a little pithy saying. And that's exactly the kind of parable that Jesus gives here in his Sermon on the Mount. He states the obvious, that a blind man cannot guide another blind man or they'll both fall into a pit or a hole. Now this is just an undeniable truth that no one could possibly disagree with. Blind individuals, of which there were many in Israel in Christ's day, could not possibly guide another blind individual because they would both be unable to see dangerous pits that they could fall into. See, in our Lord's day, Israel was a land with lots of holes or pits in the terrain. And there are some reasons for this. For one thing, there were a number of wells that no one had covered up, no one had filled in with dirt and So there are pits that just holes, deep holes that just remain. Also, the ground in Israel was so rocky that stones sometimes had to be dug out in order to resurface roads, leaving then a number of holes that people and animals could fall into. And we know that's the case because in Matthew chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus spoke of a sheep falling into one of those pits when he said this, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath... Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? So it was just an undisputed fact that a blind person couldn't possibly guide another blind person in Israel because without being able to see a hole, they would very likely both fall into the hole, leaving them severely injured, if not dead. But in speaking about guides who were blind, Jesus wasn't referring to literal Guides, but rather to spiritual guides. Those religious leaders, specifically the scribes and the Pharisees, who saw themselves as a guide to those who were ignorant, to those who were underneath them in knowledge. They saw themselves responsible to teach and lead others who they considered to be spiritually blind due to their ignorance in the law of Moses, but who in reality... They were spiritually blind themselves. And they're leading people to hell rather than heaven. This is why as you go through the New Testament, the four Gospels, you'll see that Jesus so often referred to the Pharisees as those who were blind. This is not an isolated statement. This is throughout his ministry he said this. For example, in Matthew chapter 15 verse 14, concerning the Pharisees, Jesus said, let them alone, they are blind guides of the blind." And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. It's the same thing that he's saying in his sermon. Again, in Matthew 23, you go through Matthew 23, and you'll see that Jesus denounced the Pharisees by not once, not twice, but repeatedly calling them blind men. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. Verse 17, You fools and blind men, Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Verse 19, you blind men. Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Verse 24, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. I mean, Jesus repeatedly called these men blind blind guides and folks the real danger with their blindness is that they were leading their followers not not to a hole in Israel but to the very pit of hell again let me read to you what our lord said about these men in matthew chapter 23 verse 15 woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte just one convert and when he becomes one you've made him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And Jesus called these men sons of hell. And those that they managed to convert to their way of thinking, they were also sons of hell. And the reason for this is because the Pharisees, note this, they were unregenerate men. Religious, but unregenerate. Unsaved. They had no relationship with God. Men who having rejected God's righteousness in the Messiah for their salvation They taught their followers, too, to reject Jesus and to reject God's only provision for righteousness, which is through Christ alone. And in rejecting God's righteousness, they would end up in hell because why? They had no righteousness of their own. And folks, that's still the way it is today. False teachers are never saved individuals. They're always lost, unregenerate, religious but unregenerate. But they are always unsaved, unregenerate men, men who are spiritually blind, just like all unsaved people. And if you follow them by adhering to their teaching, you will be led astray because they will lead you into error and ultimately into a Christless eternity of unending judgment because they will lead you away from Jesus and his gospel of grace. And so, if false teachers are indeed so wrong about the gospel, and they are, Then a valid question for us to ask is, how do they manage to entice so many people to follow them? I mean, some of them are quite popular. Well, you have to keep in mind that the people who follow them are spiritually blind themselves. They follow blind guides, but they're blind themselves. They have no spiritual discernment. They're not saved. So they cannot distinguish between truth and error. They're gullible. They're naïve. They believe whatever they're told. However, beyond that, there are some very specific reasons why false teachers appeal to so many people. And the Apostle Peter tells us why in his second letter, which is a letter that focuses solely on false teachers. Here's what we read in Second Peter chapter two, starting at verse seventeen. He's talking, he's describing what false teachers are like and why they are so appealing to unsaved people. They are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. Now, notice how Peter describes these false teachers. He calls them springs without water, clouds driven by a storm. He says they speak arrogant words of vanity that entice others by appealing to their fleshly desires. He says that they promise people freedom while being slaves themselves. So what does Peter mean by all of this? Here's how one Bible teacher explained Peter's words. He said false teachers are wells without water. In this verse, Peter uses two poetic figures, wells and clouds, which represent a precious commodity in the Middle East. A well without water would be a major disappointment in a hot and dry land. Likewise, false teachers have a pretense of spiritual water to quench the thirsty stall, but they actually have nothing to give. The coming of clouds would seem to promise rain, but sometimes the storm would blow the clouds on by, leaving the land dry and hot. The false teachers might seem to promise spiritual refreshment, but they were all show with no substance. False teachers deceive the weak with high-sounding words that masquerade as scholarship or profound spiritual insight and even as direct revelation from God. In reality, they say nothing genuinely scholarly or spiritual or divine. Nevertheless, in spite of all the empty talk, false teachers entice others to their philosophies by appealing to people on the baser level. Seduction, rather than the winsomeness of truth, is their ploy. They offer people a kind of religion that they can embrace and still hold on to their fleshly desires and sensuality. False teachers can't deliver the freedom that they promise because they themselves are enslaved to the very corruption which people are trying to escape. Whoever puts himself in the name of freedom into the hands of a false teacher who's a prisoner himself also becomes a prisoner. Bondage to corruption awaits all followers of false teachers. So my friends, be careful. Be careful who you listen to and follow as a teacher. False teachers are very skilled at luring you into their fold. Their master, Satan, Jesus said he's the father of lies, and he knows your weaknesses, and he will promise you whatever he thinks it'll take to hook you into a false system. And this is why Jesus warns us not to follow these men, because whatever they promise you will only result in you being disappointed, because it's a lie. It's a lie. However, Jesus will never disappoint you because he'll never lie to you. In fact, he'll only speak the truth to you. He is the truth and he only speaks the truth. And those who really truly represent Christ as his ambassadors will always point you away from themselves to Jesus by telling you the message of the gospel, explaining to you about your sinful condition, how Christ died on the cross to save sinners, and that he invites you to repent of your sin and place your trust in him for salvation. So the first warning that Jesus gives about false teachers, as he exposes them for what they really are, blind guides, is that they will lead you astray. But as the Lord continues speaking, as he continues giving this sermon, and now talking about false teachers, he tells them something else about these men. And why you should avoid them and why you should not listen to them. Not only will they lead you astray, but sadly, if you continue to follow them, you will become just like them. Notice the beginning of verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher. Now, once again, Jesus gives an obvious, self evident truth, a truth that no one in their right minds could possibly disagree with. He said that a pupil is not above his teacher. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that when a student is being taught by their teacher, they don't know more than their teacher does. That's why they're a student and the teacher is the teacher. It's just common sense. The student is there to learn from his teacher because he just doesn't know as much as his teacher knows. Now, as I've said, this is an obvious truth that everyone can agree on. And throughout his ministry, Jesus often said these same or very similar words to remind his disciples that he as their teacher, as their Lord, as their rabbi, as their master, was above them. For example, he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. He said the same thing, essentially, in John 13, verse 16, John 15, verse 20, using the terms master and slave, but conveying the same basic truth, that those who sit under a teacher are not above that teacher because they're there to learn from someone who obviously knows more than they do. Now, as I just said, Jesus gave this rather pithy saying about a teacher being above his pupil. He said it on a number of occasions and there were most likely a number of times that the New Testament just doesn't record that he said this. But this was a major point that he made throughout his ministry. And everybody who heard him, because he would say this, to his disciples, they understood what he was talking about. That he, as their teacher, their Lord, their master, their rabbi, he was above them. However, that's not how Jesus is using this saying here in Luke chapter 6 verse 40. So he's not speaking about himself as the one who teaches, but rather he's talking about the Jewish scribes, the Jewish Pharisees, as teachers. He's talking about them in a negative sense, as false teachers, blind guides. And what the Lord wants His audience to understand by these words is this. If you place yourself under the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees, or any false teacher for that matter, something is going to happen to you. You're going to be changed. It is inevitable, but not for the better. You're going to be changed, but not for the better. Notice what Jesus went on to say about a pupil sitting under the instruction of a false teacher. Verse 40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. The Lord is explaining the danger that people face if they allow themselves to be taught by a false teacher. Eventually, after sitting under a teacher who rejects Christ and distorts the message of salvation by grace, a student will become like his teacher. In other words, he will embrace the errors of his teacher and he will become a false teacher himself. He'll sound just like his teacher. See, in our Lord's Day, a teacher known as a rabbi didn't sit in a classroom and just roll out facts of information to his students about certain subjects like math, science, language arts. No a rabbi surrounded himself with a bunch of of students who followed him around all day receiving instruction on God, on the law, on how to live, a host of practical issues pertaining to life in general. A number of years ago when Michelle and I were in Israel, we were sitting somewhere in Jerusalem, we were by ourselves, and all of a sudden this rabbi comes quickly walking past us with a bunch of his students quickly walking behind him. And we felt like we were transported back to the first century. They're walking very quickly. Why they always walk quickly, I don't know. I don't know if they're getting their heart rates up or I don't know. I've asked and nobody seems to know but they walk very quickly, almost, almost speed walking and it was really this very thought of you have a rabbi surrounded by his students and he's talking and doing life and they're following and they're interacting and they're asking questions and he's teaching. That's what Jesus is talking about and as a result of this type of life training, a student eventually becomes like his teacher. Not only in what he's taught, but in how he lives, how he sounds, how he behaves. You see, folks, what Jesus is saying is that if you follow the teachings of a false teacher, whether you attend his church or watch him on television or listen to him on the radio or read his books, you will inevitably take on the characteristics of this man and will start speaking the same errors that you learned from him or from her. In other words, you will absorb their spirit and sound just like them. Why do you think that Jehovah's Witnesses travel in pairs? Because one is the teacher and the other is the student. But eventually the teacher is going to be reproduced in his student, and the student will become just like his teacher, and he will then start training someone else as his student, and on and on the process goes. Listen, beyond all this about false teachers and being like them, there is an important general. Timeless, broad principle that Jesus is teaching. And as I said, it goes beyond a false teacher reproducing his error in them. That principle is that whoever you sit under as a student, you will, to some degree, become just like them. You see, you can see this very clearly in Bible believing evangelical churches. Those Christians who have sat under militant type, angry pastors always seem to be like that themselves, militant, angry, fighting everyone who doesn't agree with them. You can have a gracious disagreement. They'll attack you on any point of doctrine, any practice. They'll attack you and not kindly. They're militant. They're angry. Where did this come from? Came from sitting under a man who was just like that and eventually you become like that. And those Christians who attend legalistic type churches where their pastors tend to reduce Christianity to a mere list of do's and don'ts, they tend to become legalistic themselves. And you might wonder, well, where did this come from? Well, it came from sitting under that type of leadership for years and years. You turn into the person that you've heard this from. Likewise, those Christians who sit under gentle, loving, and godly pastors and teachers, they tend to become gentle, loving, and godly themselves. This is why it's so important what local church you choose to align yourself with. Because once you have sat under the leadership of that church, you will eventually, inevitably, take on their characteristics in terms of, of how you talk and how you live. This is why it's so important for pastors and teachers to be Christ-like, to be biblical, not only in what they teach, but in how they live out what they teach. It's because those who follow them will become just like them. This is why the Apostle Paul so often said, follow me as I follow Christ. And this is why as a believer in Christ, it is so critically important that you spend time daily with the Lord so that he will be your teacher. As you read his word and spend time with him in prayer, this is how you grow in him. This is how you cultivate your relationship with him. It's not enough if you think you're just coming on Sunday mornings and having a sermon preached to you. I should not be your primary teacher. Your primary teacher should be the Lord himself as you sit under his teaching, his ministry. Daily as you open His Word and He guides you in your understanding of it and you spend time in prayer. This is how you grow in Him. This is how you cultivate it. Otherwise, you're just getting one meal a week. You're starving. You need to have a daily time with the Lord. And if you're too busy for that, you're just too busy. Rearrange your priorities. And what will happen if you let the Lord be your teacher, your primary teacher, You'll see changes. You'll become more like Him. You might not even recognize it, but it'll be there. You'll be more like Him in your gentleness, in your attitudes, in your beliefs, in the way you talk to others, in your core values, in your desires. You will be more and more like Jesus Christ, conformed to His image. So if you don't have a daily time in the Word with Jesus being your teacher, then you need to establish one. Not tomorrow, but today. Today. So you'll become more like Christ, which is what our Lord is teaching. But beware, if you expose yourself to a false teacher and embrace his errors, you will become just like him and you will develop into a teacher of falsehood yourself. Now Jesus had more negative things to say about false teachers, but we'll leave that for the next time we meet to study this. But I want you to understand that If you feel like this has been a sobering message you should feel that way today's message should have a sobering effect upon you so that you realize how dangerous false teachers are they're they're not to be minimized they're not to be trivialized at all and I want you to see how serious the apostle Paul viewed false teachers from two passages of scripture that he wrote First is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, where Paul exposes certain men who have the audacity to claim to be Christ's apostles, and Paul explains what they really, really are like. He said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. That actually goes to verse 15. So Paul reveals here the truth about these men. They weren't true apostles. They were false apostles, deceitful men masquerading as servants of righteousness when in reality they were servants of Satan, the epitome of evil, the chief deceiver. Second passage of scripture in which Paul so forcefully addresses false teachers is Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. It isn't just a little tweak here and there. It's a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he's to be accursed. The Apostle Paul had come into that area, into the Galatian region. And preach the gospel to these Gentiles who knew nothing about Christ. And many of them professed faith in Christ and they were growing in the Lord. And then some false teachers came in and they said to these people, No, 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 Paul isn't right. No, no, it's not faith alone in Christ. Yeah, faith is fine, but you need something else. You need you men to be circumcised if you really want to be right with God. That's what the law says. That's what he said to Israel. And Paul is so troubled over this. It is a contradiction to the gospel of grace because these people were departing from the truth that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, through grace alone. And so he denounces these false teachers who led these people into error by declaring that they are a curse. That's as strong as it gets, folks. It means that they are doomed to be in hell. You're cursed by God. Anathema. Cursed. And that's really the tragedy of false teachers. Their teaching never delivers anyone from hell. It just assures that those who follow them will join them in hell. That's why they're so dangerous. So please, don't let this happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Jesus has warned you in his word about false teachers. They'll lead you astray because they're blind. They don't know where they're going. They can't possibly lead you. They're blind and you'll end up just like them if you follow their teaching. So instead, turn to Jesus Christ. Be saved from God's wrath. Jesus will always tell you the truth. He'll never mislead you. He'll tell you the truth about yourself. He'll tell you the truth about God. He'll tell you the truth about himself. So trust him for salvation before it's too late, before you die. If you want to speak to one of our pastors about this, and just see me after we close the service, which we are going to do right now. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for a passage of Scripture like this. Strong words, but truth. And Lord, we know these things in our age seem so wrong because they're not politically correct. we thank you we thank you because truth is truth and we live by propositional truth we live by your word and your word is always true so lord we do pray for those who are still lost in their sins looking for who to follow this religion that religion this cult that teacher we pray that you'll direct them to jesus christ and him alone And that they will rest in His finished work on the cross, not trying to earn their way to heaven, not trying to do something, but simply resting, trusting, placing their reliance upon Him for salvation. And we pray for the rest of us, Lord. Help us to be discerning. Help us, if we see friends and loved ones who are moving in the direction of falsehood and false teaching, to warn them. May we be those who rescue people out of those pits, out of those errors, and Lord, help us to be discerning. We see so many books on the market, those on television preaching another gospel, those on radio at times preaching another gospel. Lord, help us to be discerning, not gullible, not naive. We pray all of this, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.